0: So, Nate, I think we were talking recently about uh, how we first met and we got onto the topic of open source and how it's what brought us together and um, how it sort of kick started at least my involvement with you and the Radify folks. And so I thought it might be good to just spend a little while talking about what your experiences were as the sort of leader of that endeavor and perhaps a little bit of my experience about being somebody who benefited from working with an organization that led that charge, and maybe spend some time riffing on that, what worked, what didn't, and then maybe talk about some of the other challenges that we're seeing as a wider part of the industry.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting time to sort of be an open source and, and sort of all that that implies. I, li- I like the first thing you said, though, almost like a tagline. Open source, what brings us together? Ah, yeah, very good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I guess I could just start rambling, and then you can interject if. Uh, yeah, why don't you start your uh, ramble? Bring, bring me back on course. Um, I think a
0: good place to start the ramble might be: What were your intentions initially getting involved in open source software? Um. Uh, <laughs>
1: That's a good question. So my my initial involvement in open source goes back to a project called NetOffice, not the um not the, you know, Linux Foundation one or whatever it is. Um there was this um crappy PHP uh productivity project management tool that probably doesn't exist anymore. Um it was on SourceForge um called NetOffice. And um you're listening
0: to the Proof Partners podcast. For more information, check out proofpartners.io.
1: I don't know. I was just getting started out in in freelancing, I think. And um, I wanted a tool that I could customize because, you know, when you're getting started and you, you just think everything's about... Like, like when I first started a business at like 12 years old, I bought a bunch of like pens and post-it notes because you think that's what like business is about um so it it was kind of like that but for technology like i I wanted to have this platform that i could work on so i I set up a couple of patches and um i have no idea where it went how it got from there to uh to cake php um even though that was probably within a, a year or so um of of getting started um but yeah. Anyway, like I, I, you know, started working on projects, and um, I think I actually had a job also at the time. And um, I saw this was also around the time that like um, like scriptaculous and stuff like that was coming out.
0: Yeah. So this was so, going to be what 07?
1: Probably something like that. Yeah. It's good. Good memory for, uh, for that. By the way. Um, I
0: remember that era very yeah. vividly and very fondly. It was. Yeah.
1: It was so much fun. An exciting time. It's like you, you could actually start to do things. So that that kind of got me on this track of like, oh, you know, productivity in, in building software and, and finding tools that, that would help you not only build cool things, but build them much faster. Um, and there was a lot of hype about Ruby on Rails. And I was like, well, you know, Ruby, that's, that's kind of an up and coming language. It doesn't really exist anywhere for the most part whereas php that's you know that's established surely they have you know something like this nope nothing like that existed so of, of course um i found i found one project that was there was you know guy had released like um two weeks or something prior and i was like oh this looks great i'm gonna join this and you know it was nothing like what you know cake php would have actually turned into but um you know, it was, it was a kernel of a germ of, of the idea. Um, and so I just, I got involved and, you know, there was, there was a ton of interest in doing something like Rails for, for PHP at the time. Um, so there's probably like a dozen people, um, initially who, who sort of piled on the project. Um, and I think there were maybe like five of us left after, after three months or so. Um, and of course, you know, more people came and went, but, um, You know, there's a core group that kind of whittled down to probably three who remained from that time until, you know, years later.
0: That's interesting because I was, I think I went through pretty much the same process and journey that you did. First being exposed to really my first design pattern years before, you know, reading uh, Gang of Four or anything like that around the MVC pattern in Ruby on Rails. And being exposed to that and absolutely loving it and the productivity boost that it gave you, but feeling significantly um, inhibited by the fact that I just didn't care for Ruby as a language and PHP was my bread and butter, that's what I was most productive in at the time, and also lamenting the fact that nothing Rails-like existed for PHP and then eventually, I found. Although there was a project I played with before that called PHP on Tracks, which is probably for. I remember really. that. Do you really? I I, I, think I do. You'll, you'll have to struggle to find any um, acknowledgement of it on today's internet, but at the time, it was the closest that I could get. And I was super productive in that; loved it. But then, once I discovered Coke PHP, I quickly um, cottoned onto that and saw that as the future. But the point i wanted to get to there is what you said there where you first discovered cake php and you immediately got involved whereas at that point in my career i was very much not about getting involved in projects like that i was quite happily quite happy to leech and I was actually quite a toxic member of not no toxic is wrong I was not a very helpful <laughs> member of the open source community because I, not that I was toxic because I did absolutely nothing if I encountered a bug I worked around it and never shared the bug report never shared my findings I just kept my head down and got on with things and so that's the sort of I wanted to speak a moment about is that sort of mindset of being the leech i.e. me versus a doer someone like you who immediately got involved Uh, so
1: I don't know. That that framing feels really weird to me. So I I was just I was at a place in life where I don't know, I had a ton of energy or or whatever. Um and you know, no hobbies, probably not much of a life. I don't really remember. Um but I the point is I had capacity to get involved. I had capacity and interest and and this whole idea of like it's not BitTorrent where there's cedars and leechers, right? If you if you want to join, hey, great, but part of the principle of this whole thing is like, it's public. Just, you know, take it and do whatever. Nobody owes anybody anything. And, and I think that is actually, um, a, a huge, a huge thing now where, because open source is so embedded in, in day-to-day life. And like you, you wouldn't even dream of starting, you know, a, a project without like more open source transitive dependencies than you could possibly count. Um, you know, so now now we're to this point where we're sort of dependent on it in these really fundamental ways, and, and people sort of have an attitude.
0: What you were saying there about cedars versus leeches—that was certainly how I felt at the time. And like you said, there about capacity and bandwidth to be able to get involved in a project like that. Um, it was certainly something where I didn't really have the capacity at that time, and I was perhaps. Um, busy trying to build solutions in order to put food on the table and didn't really have the time to contribute outside of that you know I was one of those people that sort of it got to five six o'clock and I was done and I would go home and just unplug from the computer and go go hang out with friends but then I think a lot of that was just because I was at a point in my career where I was somewhat unfulfilled and unsatisfied and so I began to realize that if I wanted the fulfillment and the satisfaction, I'm certainly not prescribing this as a remedy for anybody else that's going through this. This is just my own experience. was that I needed to start getting involved in these things more and start to contribute back. And I was at a point where I was confident enough in my own abilities that my contributions were actually worthwhile making. Yeah. So I think that's around about the time where I started to look at what would come after cake php what were the next um set of technologies you know we were working on lamp stack for years and then things like uh angular js so rich client-side applications as well as alternative databases like mongodb were starting to come along and so i was looking at solutions that were perhaps more um aligned to new technologies coming along and moving away from the traditional lamp stack. And that's when I discovered that there was this theoretical experimental um, cake PHP <laughs> version three coming along or it was cake four that was coming along. Um, and that you and a couple of other members of the team were leading that sort of skunkworks experimental project, which ultimately didn't go anywhere. but I remember checking out that beta version and really enjoying it and loving playing around with something else apart from MySQL. But then that kind of got dropped from what I understand and you spun it out or you and those other folks spun it out into a brand new project called Lithium and I was quite an early adopter of that. I was around in IRC. I was on the, um, was it Sphere was the uh, community that you made for that and again it was all eating one's own dog food there so Sphere was built on Lithium and was getting involved there. And I think that's where you and I really started talking and um, I started to make a few contributions and really enjoyed that process. And I remember thinking at the time, like submitting bug reports and test cases to reproduce bugs and submitting fixes and thinking to myself, there's got to be more that I'm supposed to do than that in order to be a useful contributor. Like I feel like I'm missing something here. Is it really that easy? Was I like hyping it up in my, my own mind for that many years? That and this was all it? it takes?
1: Was it that easy?
0: Well, it was that easy to get started for sure. <laughs> um, but then you end up sort of ramping up and wanting to do more and more. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh,
1: it's this weird sort of. I, I mean, the whole thing is like a very social thing, which you know you wouldn't think of because you just you mostly think about writing code. But there's obviously a ton you know to it, and you don't have to write any code at all in order to be, uh, you know, a, a, an effective and productive contributor to a project. And that was honestly, that was probably the, the social aspect of um, of spinning off a new project was, was probably the the most I, I want to say mentally taxing thing for me. Because there there's a huge there's a huge amount of inertia that comes from you know running or being involved in a large project and to pivot that out it's it's like it it was kind of like what what evan was talking about in the you know the economics of programming languages you have this you know mile long list of things to do like um you know building a community writing documentation writing you know tutorials starting up a foundation on and on and on that have nothing to do with writing software um right. so that was so, yeah that w- that was the big thing in my mind and that was that was way harder um i, I don't want to say harder but that was like more taxing than writing code because writing code it's like once you have a clear vision you can just kind of sit down and bang it out right i
0: suppose it's yeah it's, it's along the same lines as the, the the tyranny of the of the context switch yeah sort yeah of, you know, you're now having to switch your efforts from working on a, a language or a framework or a library to being a project manager and that job is not necessarily easier or harder than the underlying development but having to switch between the two incurs a penalty that can be very challenging
1: yeah i I remember actually there was a whole google doc and a meeting with like probably 15 people just to pick a name and a logo and it's like uh, i know this is important but i would rather be coding
0: (laughs) Indeed, and I think that the engineers will understand this, but it just feels like bike-shedding by committee, even though it is a a worthwhile and important endeavour in the grand scheme of things. When you're sat there at the time, it's like, I could be programming right now, and instead we're we're bike-shedding.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Given Laravel's success, maybe if I had put more energy and effort into branding, things would have gone differently.
0: (laughs) Right, well, that's a a really good um, transition to what i wanted to talk about next i guess is those really successful projects and how you think they, and not to say that the likes of coke php and lithium were not successful i certainly regard them as so but in terms of what is still around today and what has endured um, i think something like laravel certainly takes first place there and so i guess my question will be what do you think the secret to their success has been
1: yeah well i mean first of all it it depends on you know project to project it's going to depend on how you define success but and it sounds like you're defining success in terms of um you know let's say some combination of longevity and market share right yeah um like by contrast with lithium that was never i almost didn't want it to be super super popular in terms of numbers um because it was kind of a reaction away from from Cake in a lot of ways. Um, But in Laravel's case, um, I mean, they really won on focusing on developer experience and focusing on, um, you know, an an ecosystem of of tools and packages and even products um, around the framework itself.
0: Right, I think that what you said there about metrics for success. It's definitely something I want to come back to because um, I wanted to move along the timeline a little bit and talk about my time working with you at Radify just to give a really quick sort of summary there. So sort of, I got involved with Lithium and then you founded Radify along with a couple of the other folks that were involved in the Lithium project and were actively looking to do client work using building solutions that employed lithium and i wanted to get involved in that because i was doing the same thing but just as a sort of one-man band operation and so when the opportunity came up to get paid to just be a developer rather than be a contracting solo freelancer but to actually be part of a bigger team i jumped at that opportunity and got involved with um you and the rest of the folks at Radify initially and really really enjoyed my time on that Open source was a big part of what we did while I was working at Radify. I had some really good projects that I worked on um, that were publicly usable. And obviously there's the, the precursor that we've just been talking about there where open source is what got me involved. So from my perspective, it was very successful and very enjoyable. But I wanted to get your thoughts on being a business owner that was actively running an open source initiative um, how you found that process.
1: That's an interesting question. And um, I kind of think about it in terms of sort of virtuous cycles or killing two birds with one stone, maybe, where it's like a lot of our work, um, a lot of our clients ended up coming through um, this channel of, of, you know, people out there in the world who were using this project and needing help. Um so so that was it seemed obvious in that way from a from a business perspective and i had some experience with um you know that kind of a thing just coming from from cake php and being involved as a you know core contributor lead developer there um so that was a factor but then also just being able to kind of have a virtuous cycle in terms of of output it's like, okay, I, I have these things that I'm writing for clients that I can, you know, are general things that I can spin out into libraries or features of the framework. Um, I can continue to sort of, you know, use the frameworks and libraries that I'm building and that other people are building, you know, sort of dogfooding context. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a, it's a recruiting tool. Like um, I can build a consultancy. Um, I need a bunch of people to help me um, and... The way I wrote lithium was almost as a filter, in a way, for the kind of people I was looking to work with.
0: Yeah, right. And so I suppose one of the other benefits of building a framework or a language and knowing that that's the thing that will make you most productive in solving those problems and if you can create a community of other like-minded people who identify that thing as being equally productive for them by virtue of the fact they already know it so when they come to you and want to work with you they already know the the tool chain uh, the stack that you've been working with so it acts as a filter in that regard for technical competency and approach to work Um, but the other aspect of that is Perhaps how it acts as a bit of a cultural filter as well.
1: Yeah, I would almost say philosophical.
0: Yes, yes, philosophical, primarily. I would, I would argue there is a little bit of culture in there as well. Although, oh, again, sure. you could argue yeah. that that culture is um, downstream of philosophy. Yes, and certainly. so therefore, you know, if you if you're philosophically aligned, there's a good chance that you're going to be culturally aligned as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I, I just I it, said philosophical just because in my mind it encompasses more which I Indeed. suppose it's, you know, yeah. in a strictly yeah, hierarchical sure. sense. Yeah. And yeah, we've, we've talked plenty about philosophy and turns out we line up in other ways as well, incidentally. So yeah. Yeah. It's funny mean, how that, was that works.
0: Always, so yeah, PHP UK 2011, 2012, whenever that was. And uh, oh, discovering that, yeah, we had the same reading list when we were <laughs> teenagers and things like that. And I think that's yeah. a, a pattern that at least in those days, um, was, was very true. Um, but perhaps now as software encompasses more and more of everybody's lives, people from different backgrounds and different philosophies are all in getting involved in the same projects. And so perhaps you know, wistfully thinking that maybe those days are not over, but certainly fewer and further between than they once were. But that's perhaps a topic for another discussion.
1: Yeah, um, that's a whole thing in and of itself.
0: So there was a point there that you made about metrics for success and determining how one regards a project being successful yeah and there have been another a number of open source projects that have been highly successful in metrics such as popularity longevity um, reliability mm-hmm. and i suppose is it possible for a project to be too successful or to Hit one of those. Focus on hitting one of those metrics, such as popularity, um, to the overall detriment of other aspects, such as technical um, complexity or perhaps the financial financial security of core contributors. And I guess what I'm 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 stumbling at here is the the Elasticsearch story, how Mm. a very successful open source project ends up getting what is termed being jeffed (laughs) this is the idea that uh, yeah a project that perhaps finances itself through some kind of hosting solution ends up having that milkshake being drunk by an existing big player in tech
1: yeah and that's there so so there's there's this current trend of open source venture-backed startups which just seems like a complete oxymoron to me. Um, because unless you have some kind of innovation in the business models that are possible on top of open source projects, which so far as I'm aware, there have been none in the last, you know, however many years there's open source has been a thing. Um, I don't see how that, that is successful in, in general terms. So like, um, shoot what was i gonna say um so so in the case of some projects like um like mysql you know it's a database the the number of people who are are capable of contributing to a database um are banishingly small so if you have this sort of you know pool of experts who can support you and you know you can buy a, a a contract or or licensing or whatever from you know that's going to work in some cases that's not that's not going to be the case for you know most individuals who who want to start a project for most startups um who are just getting started That's it's going to be incredibly hard and uh, on the other end of that spectrum there's there's um you know, you, you have a very complex product, um, that is generally that, that has mass market appeal within people building software. And then the other end of that spectrum in my mind is where the, the consumer is maybe less sophisticated so you can get away with, well, no, that, that doesn't even make sense because let's say you're running, you know, like open source Shopify, right? Like let's say there's an open source version of Shopify, which I'm sure exists. Um, and you're going to do, you know, hosting and all that stuff. Well, somebody else with equal, you know, technical sophistication to you, which, you know, for something like Shopify is probably not that high. It's, you know, you could run that off of, of, you know, any tech stack, right? Nothing, nothing special there. Um, so somebody else could come along and offer the exact same service off of, you know, um, off of your same code base and right. Maybe you can license it, um, you know AGPL or whatever it is that that the kids are using these days to to try to prevent <laughs> that sort of thing um is that really going to stop anybody I, I I don't know I don't know I think that's hard to say um probably not in any case I don't think it's a great business decision to give away your core product
0: right and that's been my sort of quandary for the last six months or so it's that I'm working on something which I would like to be open source, and trying to figure out how one might monetize that. Monetize, God, that's such a 2020s term, isn't it? I want to get that paid word. for doing good work, but I also <laughs> want the world to benefit from that work without having to pay for it. And so, one, how does one get to eat their cake and have it too in that regard? And so, a lot of projects seem to do the whole. Um, community edition that you can download the source for you can even spin up a docker compose stack and you can run it on your local machine to try it out but you could also spin up that compose stack in whatever infrastructure provider a hosting provider you care for and so why then would I opt for the the managed version of it if I can click click done and spin it up through and pay the vendor behind that software if for the most of the solutions that i'm looking at any organization that wants to use those solutions already has an infrastructure team anyway i don't right. think there are many startups that are going to be fully centered around this third party application that have no ops team no infrastructure and need that kind of uh, convenience and yeah
1: so, yeah and and that's you know that's obviously the huge thing uh, with the the hosting Hosting as a business model for an open source project now is um, infrastructure is just so easy, like like it's definitely you know kind of ballooned in terms of complexity, um, you know on on the upper bound with you know Kubernetes and, and things like that. But um, just to spin up a small stack like that's you know that's trivial.
0: Yeah, and I guess I'm still wanting for a better. Is there a better way of being able to get paid? to work on stuff that you then give away i mean there's
1: there's always a way uh it just depends on you know how great is it right so uh, a huge thing with um that that may work in in your case is uh trust and so so it's like they they trust you enough to acquire a solution from you in the first place right Um, which, you know, even if you're publishing it out in the world, you know, them installing it on their infrastructure means they're, they're trusting that, you know, it's of a certain quality. You haven't done something nefarious. That's going to blow up all their systems, et et cetera. Right. So the question is, does it, especially if you're selling into enterprises, the question then is, does it behoove them to dedicate resources to maintain this thing on their own? Or, you know, maybe buy a, you know, buy a support contract or buy a, a license. Um, the, the enterprise versus community thing is, is a little weird too. I mean, you know, on a small scale, I, sure, it works fine. Um, on a large scale, it's like you, you end up sort of intentionally cobbling your community edition or, you know, steering away from these other enterprise areas. And it's like somebody could go, you know, write a PR that you know implements one of your core enterprise offerings and it's like oh sorry not going to accept that and it's just it's right, just so, this weird yeah, how, dichotomy
0: how, it, how do you how do you handle that what sort of comment do you write when you close out the pull request do you say right. do your say no sorry this isn't something we'll ever implement knowing full well that it is something that you're implementing but you right. only charge for it right or do you just be completely honest and say no sorry this completely hobbles our ability to get paid so we can't give this away for free but then even if you close out that pr the world has still got that code and they can create a fork of it that has that code and then just by the fact that somebody has raised that pr your ability to make money has been hobbled to a certain extent
1: yeah yeah exactly um and, and i think the the people who have been really successful with this um and obviously there's exceptions to every rule um are people who open source things that are not their core business. They're maybe a, a byproduct or, or, or a supporting element of their core business. Like, um, you know, 37signals is a perfect example. You know, they, they did Ruby on Rails as part of Basecamp. Basecamp's a product. They don't open source Basecamp.
0: So, uh, yeah, great great conversation i think there's more that we need to talk about on this there's a couple of things that we touched on that i'd like to talk about more but i think we could probably spend at least 30 minutes talking about all of them individually yeah so i think we should there's like three different there.
1: topics there that are could easily be at least an hour each
0: but i think for anyone listening uh, look up the economics of programming languages um there was a talk given by the creator of the elm language. Um, we'll we'll drop a link in the year. show notes. Yeah. Um he talks about some of the aspects we spoke about here in in much more detail. Um So, yeah, thanks very much Nate and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Likewise. Thank you.